So thinking about the people that you know, the people who know you, who haven't yet come to that place of a personal faith in the Lord Jesus, haven't yet experienced his saving grace, as you think about those people, what's the best way to influence them for good? And if you're here this morning and you haven't yet taken that step, you haven't put your trust in Christ, I'm really glad you're here. And my prayer would be that, that God would speak to you this morning. But you think about the people in your life, think about the world all around us. What is the best way to influence the world for good? I think you'd agree with me that this world could use some good influence, wouldn't you? Um, people may disagree on why the world is messed up. They may disagree on the best way to fix the world. And I don't know of anybody, though, that would say the world's not messed up. Everything is just the way it ought to be. I haven't met a person yet who would say that. And yet Jesus Christ calls his followers to do good, to influence for good this world. And we have seen that again and again as we've been journeying our way through the book of Titus. The last time we were together, uh, we looked at this passage from Titus chapter 2, which says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. Jesus did not die on a cross simply or merely to rescue us from judgment. That is not what being a Christian is all about, just being rescued from judgment. Jesus rescues us from judgment to make us his people. That we might become worshipers of the one true God. That we might become servants. That we might do good. Okay, well, what's the best way to do that? What should we do to be a good influence in this world? That would make a great topic for conversation, a great group discussion. Uh, we don't have time for it right here, but maybe you could do that in your group. What, what, are, what are the ways that we should influence this world for good? People have a lot of different opinions on this. You know, some say Christians should get more involved politically. Others say Christians should get less involved politically. Some think that boycotts and protests are the best way to have a good influence. Some stress the importance of education, teaching our kids important principles and values. There are a lot of things that we can do to try to influence the world for good. But here's the thing. All the good changes that we can bring about, all of them, through whatever means, all of that good influence, those good changes will inevitably be superficial and very short term unless we put into practice a lesson that we can learn here in Titus.
in this book that is all about doing good and having a good influence in this world, we find that in order for that good influence to be deep and to be lasting, the place to start is not figuring out the right kind of social action. The place to start is becoming the right kind of people. Politics, protests, education, all of those things may very well have their place, and they do, but they're not the main thing. The main thing is the difference Jesus Christ makes in how we relate to others. That's the main thing. I want you to look with me at Titus chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 3. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it to that. If you do not have a Bible and you would like one, there's one in the rack in front of you, and we would love to give that to you as our gift. Just take it. You won't be stealing it. It's not like that one, you know. Won't be a hot Bible. But you're welcome to it. So, the Apostle Paul, writing this letter to his friend, co-worker, his representative Titus, who's on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean, and he's there helping some new churches get well-established to get healthy. And Paul is telling Titus how to help these new Christians to do good and to be an influence for good in their world. And he's just got through making that statement that I quoted earlier, that Jesus gave himself for us to purify for himself a people who are eager to do good. All right, chapter 3, verse 1. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. Now, I want you to notice the focus here. The focus is, as Paul is urging Titus to help these people who know Christ now, to to do good and to make a difference for good in the world. Notice that his focus is not on changing social structures. It's not on changing laws, not on changing institutions. Now, there's a place for that. That's important. But if we want to influence the people around us for good, we don't start there. We don't start with politics. We don't start with social activism. We start with being different in how we relate to other people. Positively different. Not different just to be weird, although people may think you are. The best way to influence this world for good is by showing people the positive difference Jesus makes in the lives of those who trust him. It does absolutely no good for somebody to claim to be a Christian and then live exactly like people who aren't Christians. We've got to be different. 
And we've got to be different with a difference that only Jesus can bring about in our lives in how we relate to others. Okay, that's the lesson of this passage. I'd summarize it like this. To have the kind of influence in this world that God wants you to have, remember to be positively different in how you relate to other people. Remember to be positively different in how you relate to others. And there are two positive differences that are highlighted here. And the first has to do with how do we relate to people who are in authority, who are in positions of leadership. And the positive difference is help them. Help those in positions of leadership. Verse 1 starts out, remind them. That is, remind the Christians in Crete. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Remind them. I love this about the Bible. I love just how real and how, how uh, relevant it is again and again. You know, have you ever found yourself being frustrated that you either you were reading the Bible and a lesson just kind of knocked you in the head or you went and you heard a, a message or somebody teaching and you thought, that's right, that's important. I need to, I need to know that and I need to practice that. And then you find yourself weeks or months later going, what happened? What happened to that great lesson I learned? Well, you need to be reminded. It doesn't usually happen that we learn something once and then, you know, it's good. We're good. We're done. I, I, if that were the case, we'd all be a lot better than we are. But we need to be reminded. Now, why do you suppose anyone needs to be reminded to submit to those in leadership. Could it be that that's not a natural thing to do? Yeah, absolutely, it's not natural. And apparently the people of Crete had a real reputation for rebellion, for uh, resisting authority, basically being all around troublemakers. You know, these were the guys that were on cops every, uh, every week. <laughs> resisting authority, and just, you know, being, being a problem. That's not really a problem limited to Crete, is it? No, it's, it's pretty much an all-around human problem. Let's face it. We just don't like being told what to do. Do we? In fact, that very word submissive just makes us cringe. It conjures up images of slavery and oppression and tyranny and all kinds of things. But see, that's not real submission. That's not biblical submission. Like so many good things, submission has gotten twisted into something ugly. It, it makes me think of what's happened to sex in our world. Sex is this beautiful thing that God created to be enjoyed by a husband and a wife, and yet the world has taken it and just twisted it. And, and 
just made it into this rampant immorality and pornography and abusive stuff that leads to abortion and just all this ugliness. I was listening to a report the other day and how uh, one of the sexually transmitted diseases, they're now down to their absolute last antibiotic to treat it. And if that doesn't work anymore, there's nothing left. And so something that's supposed to be good and beautiful gets twisted into something ugly, and that's what's happened with submission. Rightly understood, rightly practiced, submission is a beautiful thing. In fact, it's a godly thing. Because there is submission in the very nature of God Himself. You think about it. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We talked a bit about this last time. Three persons, all sharing equally the essence of who God is. Godness. Whatever it is that makes God God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all share that equally. And yet, in how these three persons, personalities relate to one another, the Son submits to the Father. And the Holy Spirit submits to the Son and to the Father. So within the very being of God, there is both. There's this beautiful balance between equality, absolute equality, and also submission and leadership. Submission is a beautiful thing. And it's a necessary thing in order for leaders to be effective. Leadership is a big responsibility. Leadership is the responsibility to take initiative and to influence others to go in the direction that's good for them. Now, I realize, like other things, leadership gets twisted into something ugly, but that's not what it's supposed to be. It is this good responsibility to influence people in the right direction, the direction that they want, they need to go, the the way that's good for them. You think about You know, I don't know, think about a wagon train full of pioneers. And they're crossing the wilderness in search of their new home. And there's that guy out in front, you know, on a horse. John Wayne or somebody. And he's out on that horse. And what's he doing? He's he's leading them in the direction they need to go. You know, where the next water hole is or, you know, how to get to the promised land, wherever they're going. Because he, he, he knows. So he's influencing them to go in the direction that's right for them. Anytime you have a group of people who need to accomplish something, you need leaders to help them get it done. Okay. But it is so easy to treat leaders in ways that aren't helpful. I'll just mention two. The first unhelpful thing, the way to treat leaders, is to regard leaders as the answer to all your problems. That guy would just lead right, man, we wouldn't have any problems at all. That is not helpful. Because unless we're talking about Jesus, there's no way a leader can solve all your problems. They can't do it. And I frankly, personally think this has become a huge problem in our country. We expect our leaders to have all the answers and to fix everything that's broken. It's like we want them to be a Messiah. 
but they don't have the qualifications. And we lavish all of this attention and we lavish all of this this glory on them. And all it does is inflate their egos and make them think they can do everything. And we just set them up for failure because they can't. There's just no way. And so our unrealistic expectations. So, you know, we, we, we build them up. We expect so much. And then, you know, they disappoint us, obviously, inevitably. That's not helpful. It's not helpful. You get the best leaders you could ever get. And they're not going to fix all your problems. There are problems that we just have to take responsibility for ourselves. The other unhelpful way to treat leaders is to just constantly resist their leadership and criticize every single thing they do. And that might be the more common problem among Christians. Because, see, we know all about sin. We know all about human failure. We know these guys are fallible. But instead of doing what the Scripture tells us to do, it commands us in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we are commanded to pray for those in authority over us. And yet, instead of doing that, instead of trying to help them succeed, we complain, we criticize, we get frustrated. That is not what Jesus tells us to do. What does he tell us to do? He tells us to submit. And that's something we have to choose to do by faith. Because real submission is not an outward thing. And if we're talking about the submission that the Bible talks about, nobody else can make you do it. Nobody can make you submit. And it just it reminds me of hearing of a teacher telling a kid in her class to sit down and he wouldn't sit down and she told him again sit down and he wouldn't sit down and finally she said sit down and he plopped his rear in the chair and he said I may be sitting on the outside but on the inside I'm still standing up (laughs) that's not submission submission's an attitude of the heart and it's not a fear driven compliance And it's not a mindless obedience. Submission is a faith-driven, thoughtful support of someone in leadership to help them succeed as, important here, as God defines success. And it's faith-driven because unless you believe that Jesus is ultimately in charge, And unless you believe that he ultimately works all things together for your good, you won't do it. You won't do it. Instead, you'll worry. You'll fret. You'll complain. You'll get angry. You'll get frustrated. And in all of that, and in all of that, you will fail to do the one thing leaders need you to do. They need you to show them that believing in Jesus is a good thing. That's what leaders need to see. Now, we know leaders sometimes go in the wrong directions. Huh. We know that. And true submission 
does not mean we have to go along with that. In fact, we can't go along with that because our ultimate submission is always to Jesus. Notice verse 1, after telling us to be submissive and obedient, it also tells us to be ready for every good work. Well, right there, that puts limits on submission. Okay, we can't submit to any authority who wants us to do something that isn't good. That's why I said submission is helping leaders succeed as God defines success. Okay, but even when we can't follow their leadership, our goal should still be to genuinely help them. Genuinely help them succeed. Pray for them. Give them good input. That's so unnatural, isn't it? I mean, what's what's the natural thing to do when a leader, you know, you just disagree with? Complain, criticize. This is so unnatural. And that is exactly the point. That is exactly the point. It's not our job to be natural. Our job is to be unnatural. Our job is to show people the supernatural power of Jesus Christ to change us from the inside out. I mean, think about it. Anybody can complain. I mean, do you need the power of God at work in your life to complain? I don't think so. Anybody can criticize. You don't have to experience a new birth. You don't have to be saved by the grace of God in order to criticize. Anybody can rebel. Only someone who has experienced the grace of Jesus Christ can extend that grace even to a lousy leader. Christians ought to be the best citizens in whatever country they're living in because they're eager to do good for the sake of our Lord's reputation. Our Lord's reputation. We're representing Him. We're not just representing ourselves. Look at 1 Peter 2, 13. Look what it says. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. Does not say submit yourself because it's fun. Submit yourself because, you know, whatever else we might be interested in. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. To every authority instituted among men, whether to the king, as to the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Look at this. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Here it is. Live as servants of God. Live as servants of God. See, everyone who's in a position of leadership in this world, whether we're talking about an employer, you know, your boss, whether we're talking about a teacher in your classroom, whether we're talking about some government official, they all need to know. This is what they need to know. They need to know that Jesus changes people for good. And we can help them see that by doing, by helping them succeed as God defines success. Okay, so that's how to relate to leaders in this world. Help them succeed. 
as God-defined success. Okay, what about everybody else? People who aren't in leadership, how do we relate to them? Treat everybody with respect. Treat everybody with respect. Verse 2 says, Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, show perfect courtesy toward all people. And all of this adds up to treating people with respect. Now, to speak evil of somebody, that means to slander them. That means to verbally tear them down, to insult them, to criticize them without giving them, you know, you criticize them behind their back without giving them an opportunity to respond. And you know what? Our culture is so into this. It's just gotten so into this. All you've got to do is go online, read an article in which anybody expresses any kind of opinion, and then read the comments afterwards. Actually, I don't recommend that. You know, unless you want to get exposed to a whole bunch of profanity and a whole bunch of insults. It just, it just degenerates into this um, verbal abuse, just trading of insults, people calling each other names instead of actually debating ideas. See, it's good to debate ideas. It's great to say, hey, you know, I think that's a bad idea, and here's why. Reason, reason, reason. But it's not okay to say, you're just a jerk. (laughs) You idiot. You are a insult. Insert whatever insulting, demeaning word you can think of there. That's not okay. In fact, Jesus says that's a sin. Listen to this. Matthew 5.22 But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. If that was put into practice, the internet... There'd be a lot less to read. And by brother, Jesus does, he's not just talking here about someone in your family. You know, it's a, you got to treat your family well, but everybody else is fair game. No, he's talking about fellow members of the human race because we were all created in the image of God. Look at James 3, 9. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who are made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come Praise and cursing, my brothers, this should not be. Yeah, I want you to think about it this way. There's not a single person on this planet. There's not a single person you know. There's not a single person you will ever meet that it's okay to trash talk. That it's okay to gossip about. That it's okay to mistreat in any way. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter how much we like them or don't like them. How much we don't like what... They're doing, we have no business insulting them. Now, there are times when law enforcement, military, they have to execute judgment in the court system, but that we are still to treat people with respect because they are creating the image of God. We have no business insulting people, whoever they are. That is not the way of Jesus. That is the way of the world. And instead, we're to treat all people, notice that, all people with gentleness and courtesy. Honor them as a fellow bearer of God's image. Speak to them with respect. Say, why? Well, 
One big reason is mentioned in verse 3. Look what it says. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hate one another. In other words, we know what it's like to be lost. We know what it's like to not know the grace of God and His mercy. And so if we know what it's like to be lost, then we ought to give a break to people who are still lost. It doesn't do any good to get angry at people, to get mad at lost people for acting lost. I do this. You probably do it too. You know, you see some person do just something so stupid or you see somebody in, you know, authority just do some boneheaded thing and you think, yeah, how can they do that? How could that person act like they're lost? Because they're lost. Instead of getting mad, we ought to show them mercy and kindness because that's what Jesus showed to us. I mean, we want them to know Him, right? Only He could save us. Don't ever get to thinking, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal for Jesus to save me. You know, I wasn't that bad. Don't ever think that. Only the grace of God in Jesus Christ could save you. If it hadn't been for God's intervention in your life, the grace of Christ, you would be lost. Your life would be a total disaster and your eternity would be one of complete misery. It took Jesus dying on the cross to save you. Only he could save us. Only he can save them. They need to know him. See, do you see what's at stake here in treating people with respect? Do you see what's at stake in treating leaders with respect and helping them? People need to see that Jesus really does change people for the better. It's it's not enough just to talk about it. It's not enough for us just to talk about the difference Jesus makes. People need to see it. We have to show them that difference in how we treat them. Jesus is this messed up world's only hope. He's the only hope. Because any changes that we can make through legislation or boycotts or education or whatever... No matter how good those changes are, they're only temporary at best unless people change. People have to change. And only Jesus changes people from the inside out. We've got to show our world that the gospel is true by becoming different people. These kind of people. People who make a positive difference for good. Let's pray together. Lord, as I, as I read this, as I speak these words, I'm just reminded how much change still needs to happen in my life. And I'm so glad you are patient with me. I'm so glad you're patient with all of us. I'm so glad that you do not demand perfection. And if we fall short of it, that you cast us out and you say, I'm done with you, I'm tired of it. No, you never do that, Lord. You are so patient. You are so gracious. 
And Lord, we just need to rely on you. That's what this is telling us. We need to rely on you to be different so that when people act lost and when leaders act foolishly, that we will rely on you for your grace in our life to be able to show the world the difference they need to see. We can't make a difference, Lord. We can't do it. Only you can do it in us and through us. So help us to do exactly what we sang earlier, to trust and obey. Thank you. In Jesus' name.